We're going to be in several different places today. Um, John's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, also Hebrews chapter 11 will be there as well. Um, we are blessed to have a number of individuals in our fellowship who can preach the Word and read the Word and teach the Word. All of that is really excellent. And we all have different talents and different abilities and different perspectives and so that's enriching for all of us. We learn from each other. Just like yesterday took uh, different talents and abilities to organize and to, to do all that that was done. Now, I've observed in my long life, not as long as some of you, but um, longer than many of you, that uh, some of us like to gather information. We like to do all kinds of research before we make a decision. For example, before I bought my first skinny big screen TV, I reached out to my brother-in-law, Dan, because Dan is a really good researcher. And he told me that this particular brand of television that used its own parts and didn't farm out its work, and they were really, really excellent. So I buy that kind of television because he does the research, and he's really, really good at it. But some of us need all of the answers before we act and before we made a decision. And I've also learned that not all the information is available and that if you spend enough time on the internet or talking to people, I, I saw somebody at the yard sale yesterday, I helped her put something in her car, she had a Subaru. I said, how, how do you like your Subaru? She said, I'll never buy another Subaru. I said, why would you never buy another Subaru? She says, well, I really like the way it drives and it's really comfortable. And, and she gave this whole list of all the positive things about it. It has a great display for maps and all that. She says, but the windows break too easily. I said, okay. <laughs> I've had to replace, and I'm thinking, well, I have a Honda, and I've replaced three windows on my pickup truck. You know, rocks, right, fly up and hit the windows. And so the more you search, there's all kinds of information, but if you're one of those folks that has to gather everything, you're going to be really confused because people have different perspectives and different ideas and at some point you have to make a decision now I love my brother-in-law Dan and uh, I didn't realize I was going to tell all these stories about him this morning because I didn't write it down but I want to share this with you because it leads us to the next question we often in our culture and society get in arguments about okay do we believe the Bible or do we believe science, right? And for many people, there's a big conflict between the Bible and science. Now, Dan uh, was a high school long-distance runner. He was a champion in, in the New England states. He also uh, went to Dartmouth, where he ran cross-country and long-distance for Dartmouth. And his dream was to be a biology teacher when he finished college. However, he fell in love with Wall Street stuff, and he ended up working for Goldman Sachs, 
And his deal was that, well, when I retire from that, which he retired from when he was 39 years of age, by the way. He was really good at, at everything he did. But when he was going to marry my sister-in-law, um, I was, because I'm the pastor, and at that time I was in seminary going to graduate school. I'd been a school teacher for a while, and then I was called to become a pastor full-time, so I went off to a Nyack College or the Alliance Theological Seminary in Nyack, New York, and I studied there for three years. And so during that time, Cynthia, my sister-in-law, and Dan got engaged. So Cynthia came from the Alliance, which we're the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you're not familiar with us, we have more churches overseas than we do in the United States. And Dan was a Catholic guy. So, so the evangelicals were worried about the Catholic guy. Right? Would he be acceptable to the family? What was going to happen with all of this as it happened? And so I spent a couple of hours talking to my brother-in-law, Dan. And to be honest with you, I was really apologetic. I was put in a very uncomfortable position. He's a really awesome individual. And uh, he said, well, you know, when I went to Dartmouth, I went to uh, Mass two times a week. And I found the priest who taught the Bible, who preached the Bible. And he said, and I said, well, what about confirmation? When you went through confirmation, did you really believe what you went through? Like, you know, the classes and the training that you receive, and at the end of that time, you have to confess Christ? And he said, oh, yeah, I really believe it. I, I took it to heart. And uh, Dan demonstrated all the, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and by the way, since that time, all the way his adult life, he's been very active and engaged in the church. They came upon a church that they could agree upon together. And then I asked him the question, okay, so you went to Dartmouth to study biology and to be a scientist. I said, don't you find that there's a conflict between um, belief in God and, and the creator of the universe and science? He said, you know, um, he said, it takes faith to believe in God. But he said, to be awesome with you, there's a lot of science that's theory. And you have to have faith to believe in the theory. He said, in fact, there are a lot of things that I studied that required me to have more faith to believe science than faith to believe in God and that he was the creator of the universe. Look with me, if you would, to um, Hebrews chapter 11, please. And I just want to set the stage for looking at the passage in the Gospels. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so we understand that, that faith is not the result of collecting all kinds of information and then making a decision, but faith involves 
trust. You can gather tons of information, but whatever area you're studying, whatever thing you're investigating, at some point in time, you have to do something with the information that you have. So, let's go into the gospel story a little bit. Luke Chapter 24 is where Lorenzo was last week. So let's go to Luke 24 and verse 32 because we're going to take up the story. He talked to us about the disciples' experience on the road uh, to Emmaus. And verse 32 says, as Jesus has been with them, and they recognize him, and then he disappears from their sight. In verse 32 says, They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why, do you, why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And for those of you that aren't aware of the story, Jesus has been crucified. He'd been in the tomb for three days. And the Christian faith believes that he was resurrected from the dead. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, well, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All right, now, let's go to John's Gospel, John chapter 20, and we're just getting a, a whole picture of what happened in these events, and then going to verse 19. And there's some key words here that we want to investigate and then make an application, uh, hopefully, for our lives. Verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, remember that phrase, first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now remember the scene that I read before, we have more detail here. The doors are locked and Jesus stands with them. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, remember the passage that Paul had read earlier, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, well, unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, you see this emphasis again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, he says to Thomas, Look, you've gotten all the information you wanted and you've decided to believe. But blessed are those that don't have all their questions asked, but still believe. Blessed are those that don't see it all worked out conveniently before them. I know, I added to the scripture. Let's pray before I preach, okay? Father, thank you for this scripture. And uh, we pray that you would help us to be a people of faith who believe and trust. And also, for if there might be somebody here today who needs convincing, um, I have no desire to be the agent of convincing. But rather, we rely upon your Holy Spirit to transform our minds and our hearts and to show us that you are a living God who created the universe, who chose to have a relationship with us, and who gave his Son that we might have life everlasting but a life that's abundant as well. We praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, first thing I want to do is clear some bushes out of the way because there's a couple people here this morning that um, have always wondered about what is, what's the big deal about all of these passages around the resurrection that talk about the first day. Why is that emphasis there? And, um, and I want to say that I've had conversations with all kinds of Christians, for example. Um, in fact, one girl that used to come to this church, and we had a Saturday night service for a little bit during COVID, and she said, you know, I'm glad you're doing uh, this Saturday night service during COVID because, you know, Christians should be worshiping on Saturday because that's the Sabbath, right? You have all these questions about the Sabbath and when, why we worship when we worship. We have Seventh-day Adventists that worship on Saturday. We have Seventh-day Baptists who worship on Saturday. we got all kinds of folks. In fact, I pastored a church in Daytona Beach, and um, we worshiped on Sunday morning. And <laughs> When we, after one worship service, we all went out to our cars, and there was a sticker on our, every one of our cars, a little track, and that little track said, you guys 
are missing God. You're all going to hell because you worship on the wrong day. So there's some really strong feelings, <laughs> okay, about um, when we should worship, okay? So what is this deal with the first day? There, there are words that are translated and, and discussed that mean Sabbath. There's one word in this, and I usually don't use Greek or Hebrew words or anything in my preaching, but there's one word, sabbaton, that, that really means a, a period of seven days, okay? And it's translated different ways in different places. But the Sabbath day, the word that's translated Sabbath, means Friday at sundown through Saturday, okay, at sundown. And, and so... Um, we look at this. Now, you and I, when we consider the days of the week, let, let's name the days of the week. Monday, everybody did. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And those are Roman names pretty much for the days of the week. But did you know that Jews did not name the days of the week? Their days of the week were named like this. The first day after the Sabbath. The second day after the Sabbath, the third day after the Sabbath, the fourth day after the Sabbath, the fifth day after the Sabbath, the sixth day after the seventh, and the seventh day after the Sabbath. So in these passages, when it says on the first day, it means Sunday morning, the first day after the Sabbath. All right, now. There's some things that I'd like to point out about the first day because there has to be something that distinguishes Christians from Jews in terms of how worship is done. I've been um, to Jewish worship services. I've participated in them as a singer or as a scripture reader. Um, I've run sound. I've run video for Jewish worship services in South Florida. I've done all those kinds of things. And their services are amazingly similar to traditional Christian worship services with, with a few nuances and, and differences, okay? So there had to be something that distinguished Christians from Jews just in the way that they practiced and did their worship. We know in, in the book of Acts, as that story is told, that there was one point where the followers of Jesus were called Christians. So what was going on? What's the deal? Well, Christians started recognizing um, <coughs> the first day of the week as a time to worship. And they did it for this reason. That was the day that Jesus rose from the tomb. That was the day when we fully realized as, as followers of God through Christ that we no longer had to fear death. That we had the promise of the resurrection for ourselves as well. Jesus was victorious after that. And so Jesus rose on the first day. And so they began to do that. Now, there's some other evidences that Christians were doing stuff on the first day of the week that was really special. Things that we do in our churches. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. By the way, you don't have to agree with me on all this. This is not a thing to, to lose our fellowship over. Let's just look at the word and see what it says, and you make some decisions there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says this is about receiving money in the churches. 
Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. What's those next four words? On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right? So what does he tell them to do? Lay aside money. And this is money, by the way, being used because at this time in history in the church, there weren't big buildings or they didn't have the kind of things that we have going on. They were raising money to help the people in Jerusalem who were starving and who needed help, the people in the church. All right, let's do Acts chapter 20. Go to Acts chapter 20. And uh, this is a story about a gathering of believers. What's the first four words in this passage? Verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. They celebrated communion with each other. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. I promise you that I will never do that. Okay? There were many lamps in the upstairs. Let's just look at the story because it's a crazy story. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Paul could have never led a megachurch. Not entertaining. People were falling asleep, okay? When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul, man, that's some exciting stuff going on in this church service. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Do not be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. You know, uh, when I was in, in seminary, I was leading worship in a small church in Valley Cottage, New York. And one Sunday I got up uh, and I had been told this by somebody else in the church and I was doing the announcements I said I'm very sorry for the, for Mary's family who are here today very sad to hear that Mary um, died last night and and we just want to pray for the family well Mary was sitting right there and she stood up and said well I'm alive and well okay so that that was a death that didn't happen in church however two months later Mary was in church and we had a, a pat lead pastor, and he was preaching, and Mary just fell over right in the middle of church. But you know what? That guy kept preaching. He did not stop preaching. He did not go lay hands on her and pray for her, which I'm sitting there, and he had told me, don't do anything. If I don't tell you to do it, don't do anything. I was just sitting there. I'm not going to do anything because he told me not to do anything. He's the boss. I'm just sitting there. And I'm just amazed. The emergency ambulance came, came in with a stretcher, loaded her on the stretcher, and he never missed a beat. And I was flabbergasted. She survived. <laughs> but, I mean, doesn't James chapter 5 say, if any of you is si are sick, that you should call the elders and anoint them with oil and pray for them, right? That's what we do. 
This is part of our heritage. We pray for sick people and God heals people. But anyway, that has nothing to do with my notes. I apologize for the side track. But it's just interesting. They, they gather together the first day of the week. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. I don't think I've ever preached through Revelation since I've been here. Maybe I'll do it sometime. Revelation chapter 1 and verse, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now notice these four words. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, in this passage... It says, on the Lord's day. It doesn't say on the first day. And I want to suggest to you that by the time that John wrote this and it became available to the church, the Lord's day had become the first day of the week. And that is how he gathered. Now, that's enough of Bush clearing. You probably weren't worrying about that. But I know there's a few of you that have really been asking some questions about and, and are troubled and what distinguished uh, the Christians from the Jews. Early Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus kept the Sabbath. But they started worshiping on the first day of the week because that was the day that Jesus was resurrected. By the way, if you're a pastor, preacher, counselor, does Christian kind of activities, worship leader or something, um, this is not a Sabbath day. For us. And so my Sabbath, guess what my Sabbath day is? Saturday or Monday, depending on how busy things get. And, and it's possible for us who are about God's work, who are being what God has called us to be, to have a day in the week. But the first day of the week is a great day to begin. And so we're, what we're saying as we gather together is the first day of the week is Sunday. And we are gathering to worship. We're starting our week out right. And I don't know about you, but this helps me as I deal with the week and as I go through the week. All right, now there's a phrase. Go back to John's gospel, John chapter 20. And there's a phrase in here that Jesus says several times. It's four words. Can you find those four words? He repeats this, and this is the application for us this morning. Four words that Jesus says. You see them there? Verse 21, verse 19. What are those four words? Peace be with you. They were startled, they thought he was a ghost. They had the concept of a ghost then, just as we have the concept of ghosts. I'm not going to try to clear the bushes and explain that one this morning. Maybe that'll be another. I've never preached a sermon on ghosts before. But uh, anyway, he is in their midst. They're startled. It's like they weren't expecting this. That he was dead, right? And yet there are reports of his resurrection where these are stories that are told of people that had this experience that saw him after his resurrection. And he says, peace be with you. 
So I want to say this to you. If you're you're a person that needs all of the information that you can get before you make a decision, if you're a person that is distracted by the things that are going on in the world all around you, and you're trying to find answers, and it's troubling to you, if you're a person who is, you're trying to figure out the relationships in your life, how to be a, a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a grandparent, how to be a son, a daughter, a child, how to be grandma, grandpa, all those kinds of things. It's complicated, right? It is not easy. You remember how to spell the word love? Can some of you spell the word love with me? Do you remember how I spell love? C-O-M-M-I-T-T-M-E-N-T. What's that word? Commitment. It's hard to be committed to people. See, we're in, we're in love with the word love, which is an emotional thing. And if our relationships with people are based on our emotions, that's really troubling because, you know, what I, the ice cream that I, oh, I didn't eat ice cream last night, but if I were to have eaten ice cream, that might affect me this morning. You know, sugar is a depressant, right? And there's all kinds of things that can mess with us. Diets, all kinds of crazy. So if we're rooting our relationships, if we're rooting a life and all this kind of stuff based on, on our emotions and our feelings, no, we are in trouble. But I'm going to say this to you right now. Whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, this is true. When Jesus is present, he brings peace. When Jesus is present, he brings peace. I, I can remember one time, I won't go into the whole story because I'm running out of time. How is it so late already? We're, we're going to wrap up. But anyway, so I can remember Vicki and I were first married. We got in a big old fight. I mean a big old fight. And um, I just went crazy. I'll be honest with you. I, I went nuts. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're married, and we have a little boy, our first child, and it's just, this is just crazy, and, and I just went nuts. And she, I went so nuts that she was afraid. She left the house. She got in, did you get in the van? That's all we had. We had the old uh, hippie van with the waves painted on the side. <laughs> She got in the van, and, um, and you know, I mean, I was a follower of Jesus. I taught at the high school. I led the Youth for Christ Club. But I, this marriage thing was tough, and it was our first year. And, I, and, and so she, she got in the van. She left. Oh, man, I've blown it. I sat in an easy chair right in front of the front door, and I said, God, I, I don't know how to talk to this woman. I still don't. Been married almost 47 years. Still don't know how to talk to him. <laughs> That's my, you know. Anyway, uh, you know, one time we candidated a church and she was talking to me like this in a sermon, and they made us come back another time because they thought we had marriage problems. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> no, we just communicate. But anyway, so I just sat there in a chair and I said, I don't know how to communicate to this woman. I don't know how to talk to her. But, you know, I love her, and I, I just need help. Jesus, help me. And the peace of God that passes all understanding came over me. 
And about an hour later, now you got to understand, my folks lived a mile from us. Her folks lived about five miles from us. My sister and her husband lived across the lake. She had plenty of places to go. She pulls in. She walks in the house. I said, why are you back? She said, she said I don't have any place else to go. I'm with you. Right? Commitment. Commitment is what binds us together. I want to promise you that God is committed to you in Christ Jesus. And when you turn to Him in your time of need, He will bring peace to your environment. Now, let's just do a little experiment here. I'm going to read some verses on peace. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Let's get some more, a little more encouraging verses on peace, okay? We don't want to rot the bones. Um, Philippians 4, 6, right? I asked somebody to read this this week. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Cast all your anxiety on Him, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, because He cares for you. John 16, 33, I've told you these things, so that in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So trouble's all around you, but you can have peace in the midst of trouble. That is what distinguishes us. I've told you my grandson saying when I came to visit one day and I was sitting on the couch and a little 10-year-old dude who was here last week snuggled up next to me and said, Pop up, I love it when you come because you bring peace into our house. I am not peace. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ gives us peace. I'm not righteous. Jesus is righteous. I'm not holy. Jesus is holy. But He transforms us. He makes us into a new creation. Isaiah, Old Testament prophecy. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So Jesus promises peace. In this passage, He sends us, and I know you've heard this, I, how many sermons have I preached in 10 years, and every one of them I've said, what God gives to you, He sends us to give it to others, and He empowers us to do what He's called us to do, and to live the way that He has called us to live. He never asks anything of us that He doesn't supply the means by which we can do what He has asked us to do, what He has asked us to be. Peace always. Sending always. Empowerment always. So, what questions do you need answered? How many questions do you have? It's all good. Ask them all. 
But at some point, you and I have to finally sit down in the chair. At some time, you and I have to trust. We have to trust each other at some point. We have to trust institutions at some point, although that gets harder and harder all the time, even the church. We, above all, have to trust God that His promises are real and true. And then the peace that passes understanding will transform our lives, will will change us from the inside out, And all of that is done, as was in the case of Thomas, that we might believe. And that we might find peace in our own lives, and then we might be peace in other lives as well. Let's pray together. Love you, Father.